0: You are listening to a Proper DBE podcast hosted by Georgia
1: Abrams and brought to you by the Daughters of the British Empire.
0: The Daughters of the British Empire is a 501c3 non-profit American Society of Women of British or Commonwealth birth or ancestry, sharing and promoting our heritage while supporting local charities and our senior living facilities across the U.S. Welcome to Episode 9 of A Proper DBE Podcast. Before we get started with today's topic, I wanted to acknowledge the controversy caused by our last episode and read some of your comments. Suzanne in Colorado said, I really enjoyed the scone debate. Have you done the history of the teacup, the teapot, or different teas, especially those associated with health? Of course, we haven't covered the aspect of tea yet, so that's something that we'll have to add to the schedule. Uh, Thanks, Suzanne. Liz, also in Colorado, said, Waiting in on the great scone debate, I grew up in Yorkshire putting butter, cream, and jam on scones in that order. Nearly all scones were currant scones, not sultana, then there is the other debate. How do you pronounce scone? With a short O, scone, or a long O, scone. Great job, ladies. Such a fun podcast. Thank you, Liz. And a comment on Ohio's Facebook page said, I thought the debate was to eat or not to eat. No question, really. And finally, Anne in Texas had a comment about the podcast overall, saying, I've listened to several of them now, and I really enjoy them. I put them on in the background while I'm sewing or reading. It's very like listening to Radio 4. And that's wonderful to hear. That's our goal, really. I love seeing your comments and getting to share them with others, so please continue sharing them with us. I have a few announcements today, too. First, it's National Grandparents Day today, so we are wishing all of the grandparents out there uh, a lovely Sunday. Second, DBE in Texas is preparing for their 47th annual British Bazaar. So those of you in the Houston area, be sure to attend, stock up on all kinds of Christmas goodies. It's on October 23rd, admission is $5, and you can find more information on their Facebook page, which I will link in the show notes. And finally, DBE in Colorado is having a spring bulb fundraiser, so if you want to get any tulips, daffodils, alliums, what have you, planted before the ground starts to freeze, I will also include a link to that in the show notes. And speaking of getting your bulbs in the ground before it's too late, it's time for this week's topic, and though many of us may still be facing 90 degree temperatures, autumn is rapidly approaching, so this week we're talking all about those things we do during the autumn to prepare for the winter pickling and canning, planting bulbs, preparing our minced meat and fruit cakes. Joining us today is Louise from Mary Wollstonecraft Chapter in Colorado, and my own mother, Charlie, a member-at-large in Illinois. So pour yourself a cup of tea and get comfortable. First up, here's Louise with a bit more information on the Spring Bulb Fundraiser. We've been running it for a couple of years now through
2: the Flower Power Uh, website it's a uh, company that allows us to sell their produce spring bulbs and we have a summer one too where it's the summer bulbs that happens in the spring but this one currently is for all the spring bulbs that you would plant now in the autumn so it's things like tulips and daffodils and hyacinths and crocuses everything that needs that winter period in order to grow in the spring and uh, they donate to our cause 50% of the profits. So it's a great way if you know want to make a donation to our charitable causes to benefit from it yourself every springtime. <laughs> I've bought some bulbs through them and normally we would get maybe a 50% success rate. This past spring, every single one came up and put on a show so I was really thrilled and a number of ladies in Denver also uh, reported the same thing the the bulbs were really good quality and that's a small fundraiser that we try to uh, do every every year super easy you just um, click on the link that you can find on our uh, website and on Facebook for Colorado,
0: just go from there, put your order in, pay for it, and that will get delivered to your door. Another thing you might be doing in your garden this time of year is harvesting your produce. But what do you do with it all? Some of you might turn to canning your own preserves, relishes, jams, and jellies. My apple
1: tree, my one apple tree, and my pear tree are loaded. So my task for this weekend is pear honey, and green apple and green tomato chutney, uh, and the copycat recipe for Branston pickle.
2: I love Branston pickle.
1: I do too, and I can't afford to buy it over here, so I've got a copycat recipe. And um, is, there are. Is some, it good? This is the first time I've used this particular recipe, and I don't have everything it calls for. It calls for a rutabaga uh, or a Swede. And I don't have that. So I'm going to try putting a sweet potato in instead. And it hmm. for two zucchinis, which I don't have. And so I'm going to double up on the pickling cucumber and see how it goes.
2: Yeah, I've been canning like crazy. Zucchini relish is a big favorite here with our family. And that's a great way when you have those zucchinis that you miss... And they turn into giant marrows. Yes. That's a great recipe to use up your zucchini when they're like that. It's just an awful lot of prep work, but the actual canning process is super simple. You press your can or hot water bath. Hot water. Yeah yeah me too. For the first time this year we've been doing um, cucumber relish but it doesn't use pickling cucumbers it uses field cucumbers. Yeah. And we had a little taste and it was quite delicious so we're excited for that. And then we have crab apple trees in the front garden so I usually do some sort of herbed apple jelly oh and uh, a big favorite in my family is uh, jalapeno jelly so like
0: spicy things
2: it's not that spicy actually it's more sweet and tangy than it is anything else so and it's a super easy one to do I tried a red onion marmalade a couple of weeks ago. Two years ago, my
1: friend and I walked across Hadrian's Wall and her husband sent her a, like a gourmet food basket as a uh-huh. present for when she completed it. And there was a red onion marmalade in there that she wasn't keen on. She didn't open it. She's like, I don't think I'll fancy this. Would you eat it? And I, yeah. So I brought it home to my husband, not thinking I would like it. And it turns out it was absolutely delicious. So I made a copycat recipe of that with some homemade rosemary and potato bread. Uh, mm. We had that with with a big chunk of sharp cheddar cheese for tea about mm. what three weeks ago, and it was so good that I'm like, yeah, that's that's a keeper. And it was really easy. It was like three pounds of red onions and then some uh, merlot. You caramelized the onions in some sugar and added the merlot and the vinegar and and just cooked it down. Oh, there was garlic in there, I think. I can't remember. But it was like five or six ingredients and you just caramelized the onion, chucked the vinegar and the merlot in there and cooked it down until it set it like marmalade and bottled it. And I made uh, two half pint jars of it and it was gone in a week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's a recipe for using that on the base of a quiche. So if oh, you were making quiche yeah. and you, before you put the... Filling in, you spread a thin layer of that onion marmalade, and then put your egg mixture on the top. Apparently, that's I've never done it, but apparently that's supposed to be delicious. But it's it sounds remarkable, doesn't it? It Sounds very delicious.
0: Louisa's recipes for cucumber relish, zucchini relish, and jalapeno jelly are all listed on the DBE's website and linked to in the show notes. If you'd like to try them out for yourself, it's also time to be thinking about your mincemeat and braided fruit for all of your holiday baking. How long do you soak your fruit and what do you use it for?
1: Oh, I've, yes, yes. We must make fruitcakes. It's fruitcake making time is fruitcake. because they have to be fed so that they're nice and alcoholic for Christmas. <laughs> yes, I have my auntie's recipe for fruitcake. And uh, this was my first husband's father's sisters. They were twin spinsters and their parents used to bake for the Duke of Rutland. They had the, the bakehouse. And they were amazing bakers, um, particularly Aunt Joyce. She did all the pastries and they wanted to be pork butchers when they grew up. But, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, that was not a career for a woman. But they made amazing pastries. And I use her recipe then also, when I was pregnant with you, I worked at Dickinson and Morris's in Melton mm-hmm. Mowbray and I helped make the hunt cakes that were shipped all over the world. What's a hunt cake? It's it's a very very rich fruit cake and it's oh. it, yeah, and they we used to make these huge cakes and then they were, you know, weighed off and my job was to wrap them in the the shrink wrap and put them on the heat thing to seal them but they had all kinds of fruit and suet and cherries and you name it was in it and it, it was just a Melton Mowbray hunt cake hmm.
2: very very rich. never heard of it very very rich fruitcake of course we should point out that british fruitcake is very different from american fruitcake <laughs> yes American fruitcake gets a bad rap here. Understandably so. Gross and dry. Yeah. And then I, I don't know how you did it
1: yours. You know, my, my fruitcake is a combination of the recipe from Aunt Joyce and what my mum did. And mum used to make her fruitcakes no later than the end of November. Uh, usually she made them October-ish. She would wrap them in an old tea towel and every two weeks get them out, poke them with a thin yeah. knitting needle. Yeah. And- Pour an ounce of brandy over them, mm-hmm. and then yep. wrap it up again, and then take it out two weeks later. Turn it over, poke the bottom, pour the brandy in, wrap it up again, and so every two weeks for six or eight weeks, it was having an ounce of brandy poured into it. Yeah, uh, you could get drunk off those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. mum, mum's fruit cake was. Lots of dried fruit. Uh, She did the the glassy cherries and the pitted dates. She used apricots. She used golden raisins, Lexia raisins. Uh, And then she used the nut meats. She used Brazil nuts, walnuts, pecans. And and all of this, it was just like this melee of fruit and nuts glued together with three eggs and a cup of flour, Mm -hmm. a little bit of sugar. But, I mean, you, you know, you couldn't really find the cake. It was just holding
2: the fruit together. Mm-hmm. And they, Oh, they
1: were divine.
2: My mother used to make uh, a fruit cake, you know, a Christmas cake for every Christmas. And I can always remember being excited about the decorating part, you know, with the icing and all the little decorations that they would put on. I rarely make them now because I would be the one to end up eating it all because no one else eats it. (laughs) So I don't tend to make them so much now. But if I do make a fruitcake, it tends to be a lesser rich version. Um, I have a recipe that's been handed down through the family from my, I believe, my grandfather's sister-in-law, Auntie Madge, in Wales, in Swansea, Swansea in Wales um i use her recipe and it's a boiled fruitcake so it's very moist mm-hmm. um, but less less a lot less fruit than you would have in a a rich christmas fruitcake
0: mm-hmm. i like boiled fruitcakes
2: yeah a family favorite here for fruitcake if you could call it that is something my a recipe i got from my mother and we call it tea loaf um, Yes. The fruit is uh, soaked in tea overnight. Yes. And, um, and then, um, you know, you add your flour and your sugar and your, and your eggs. And um, it's really moist. And we, we slice it with some butter. Oh, man, I love that. My Delicious. mother-in-law used
1: to make the tea loaf, but we could never talk about it because she always said if her husband realized that it had been soaked in tea, he'd never eat it. Oh, Here it just, she said, Oh, you mustn't tell Geoffrey it's got cold tea in it, he'd never eat it. (laughs) So it was a fruit loaf, it wasn't a tea loaf, but we knew.
0: The full moon that falls nearest to the autumn equinox is known as the harvest moon, and it is this moon that signifies the harvest home or Britain's harvest festival. Traditionally, Harvest Home referred to workers returning from the farmlands with their final cart of grain and beginning the Harvest Supper to celebrate a successful harvest and an abundance of food. Harvest Suppers would consist of an array of meats and vegetables, puddings and tarts, and lots of ale. Not too unlike Thanksgiving here in the States. Now they're mostly held at churches. Oh, you know, I miss those. And we would have them at
2: school when I was young, too. There's nothing like that here. Do you have it there?
0: No. No. Any church festivals, really. I mean, Grandma used to take me to, you know, you have your flower competitions and your photography competitions and your Victoria sponge competitions. Yeah.
1: I was a campanologist. used to go around the different churches ringing the bells at their harvest. Oh, wow. This was a very, very big time for me over there because not only, you know, were we getting all the harvest in, but very often on Saturdays there'd be a bus tour where we go, you know, around the Framland, which was an area around uh, Leicestershire and, and Lincolnshire, around that area. I can't tell you exactly where the Framland was. I know I was a member of the Framland Guild, and it was a lot of little villages around Leicestershire and uh, Rutland, Oakham, that sort of area. Wonderful memories of of bell ringing in these churches, and they were all decked out for their harvest festival, and then you know, for our own church, I rang at three different churches, and for our harvest festival, we do a quarter peel, you know, ringing the bells uh, of an evening, and just marvelous to see all the all the bounty. You know, the church is decorated with all the bounty, yeah, and all the village coming together to celebrate, yeah. And it wasn't just the harvest that was decorating the church; the local craftspeople had you know their baskets that they'd woven,
2: the quilts that they'd sewn. Um, and the corn dollies, do you remember those? Yes, yes, the corn dollies. I know how to make those. Yeah. I learned, I learned when I was at school, and we would use paper straws to practice making yeah. all the different designs. Yeah. I love corn dollies. And every time I go past a field of wheat or something, I, I'm always tempted to go pluck some.
0: Yeah. <laughs> to clarify, the Framland is 100 In northeast Leicestershire, and according to Wikipedia, it corresponds with what is now the borough of Melton. A hundred being a type of administrative division, geographically part of a larger region, as the terminology was at the time of the Doomsday Book being written. Also, in the Doomsday Book was the farmhouse that my mom once lived in. Corn dollies originated in pre Christian Europe when it was believed that the spirit of the corn lived amongst the fields and was left homeless upon harvest. The dollies were made from the last sheaf to house the spirit and placed upon the banquet tables of harvest suppers. Then they were usually kept above the hearth through the winter until new crops could be sown when the dollies were plowed into the first furrow, returning the spirit to the fields. Unlike Native American corn husk dolls, European corn dollies are made out of straw that is braided or tied together to form a variety of patterns or shapes, like cornucopias, crosses, or wreaths. The countryman's favor, for example, was a plait of three straws loosely knotted to represent a heart. Upon knotting the straws, a young man would give the favor to his loved one, and, if when he saw her next, she was wearing it near to her heart, he would know that his love was reciprocated. My dad, Chris, works in agriculture, as do many people here in the Midwest. That often means our family life still revolves around the harvest. Here he is, reading Ode to Autumn, by John Keats. To close out this autumnal episode,
3: season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatched eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees, and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel, to set budding more. And still more, later flowers for the bees, until they think warm days will never cease, for summer has o'er brimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find Thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, Or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep drowsed with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swathe and all its twined flowers, and sometimes like a gleaner thou dost keep, steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider-press with patient look, thou watchest the last oozing's hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Ay, where are they? Think not of them, Thou hast thy music too While barred clouds bloom The soft dying day And touch the stubble plains With rosy hue Then in a wailful choir The small gnats mourn Among the river sallows borne aloft Or sinking as the light wind Lives or dies And full-grown lambs Loud bleat from hilly born Hedge crickets sing And now with treble soft The red breast whistles from a garden croft and gathering swallows twitter in the skies.
0: That's all for this week. I hope you all have a productive start to the autumn and an abundance of food in keeping with the harvest spirit. Get your bulbs planted, your produce preserved and your fruit brandied. Don't forget you can follow us on social media for pictures, recipes and more. We're on Facebook at the Daughters of the British Empire in the USA, Instagram at dbenational1909, Pinterest at Daughters of the British Empire in the USA, or you can send your comments, thoughts, and topic suggestions to podcast at dbenational.org. I'd like to thank Louise, my mom Charlie, and my dad Chris for joining me this episode. And until next time, Not, not Ourselves, But The calls. Calls.